where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Most of us are familiar with that scripture and how we can apply it to our own personal spending habits. But did you ever think about how that might apply to government spending? What do our Virginia leaders' budget plans show us about the values being exalted in the Commonwealth? Welcome to Speak Up Virginia, equipping you to speak up on the life, family, and freedom issues that matter most to you. From the Family Foundation, I'm your host, Candy Cushman, and I'm joined today by our president, Victoria Cobb. Victoria, before we delve into today's topic, I think it's really important that we take just a minute to address the extremely significant events we all witnessed last week. You know, I think a lot of this may still be weighing heavily on people's hearts, and a lot of us are still processing. Let's just start with the Georgia Senate races. You know, when it comes to religious liberty and pro-life issues, we were hearing that a whole lot depended on being able to have that check or a restraint in the Senate, and now that appears to be gone. What perspective can you offer our listeners who might be feeling a little dismayed about that? I don't think it's wrong that people are concerned. We know that this administration does need a check and we are concerned that it won't be there. We are seeing the appointments of folks that do not share our values to his cabinet. That said, we cannot be people of dismay. We have to have hope. Right, and I think it's so easy sometimes to feel discouraged because we have all heard for months these reassurances. Well, it's going to be okay because you still have the Senate. And like you said, that didn't play out. We, we have reason for concern. Um, so how would you encourage people to take heart that they can still be engaged in the process? Well, I think it's important to remember that there were a lot of people who were very worried about the Clinton years or eight years with President Obama. There have been other times where we've had concern, and here we are today starting a new era. But I think about particularly someone like we have Senator Joe Manchin, who, for example, when we're worried about a, a, court, uh, a check on court packing, he has made a commitment saying he doesn't support that, even though he's with a party who mostly does. So there may be votes that block the things that we're concerned about that we just don't see how they're going to play out at this moment. Right. In both those administrations you mentioned, Clinton, Obama, there were serious concerns with pro-life issues. And yet even during that time, we saw an increase in the next generation um, being more passionate about that issue. So, yeah, I definitely think there's reason for encouragement. Absolutely. Well, of course, we've really got to address the unprecedented and unforgettable visual images we all saw of people storming into the Capitol last week. I mean, people died in that chaos. And that needs to be taken seriously and addressed. But we also know people who went there innocently to express their concern in a peaceful way. And it just seems so sad that a lawful expression was overshadowed in just a really disturbing way by the mob action at the end of the day. Victoria, how have you been processing all that? Well, I think like everyone else, we are grieving. We're grieving over the reason that people felt like they had to show up in the first place, that our country is not where we want it to be. And we're grieving with literal lives lost over what happened. But I think it's important to say we've always stood for expressions of freedom, that people can go and make their voice be heard. But we've always, and we will continue to condemn violence. It's not acceptable under any circumstances. But we also have to look at this moment and realize the dangers of idolatry, that maybe there's too much hope being put in one scenario or one person or that we we're going to win this one election. And we just need to be honest and realize that our hope needs to be in the Prince of Peace, that we need to focus on our Lord and Savior. And we need to be people who are committed to biblical principles first in all situations with all elections. And we need to advocate from a place of biblical views and a place from Christ-like behavior. And, you know, that really does give me hope and even a kind of joy that we have a such a time as this calling in this moment as believers. 
to really lead the way in reflecting that redemption and hope to the culture around us. You know, and I saw a really good comment the other day that not only is it a time to grieve, but also a time to rebuild. And we are rebuilding through our connections to pastors, uh, equipping youth, and building our local Speak Up Virginia teams all across the state. Well, as we mentioned, we're actually talking about budget issues today and how that corresponds to our heart values, both at the individual and societal level. But let's just start things off on a bit of a lighter note. You've had some interesting budget discussions over the years with your kids, right? Yeah, I mean, we've tried to instill this idea of Matthew 621 that we were talking about, and we do it with things like a piggy bank that's divided between savings, spending, and giving. Uh, we do it with our teenager who's just gotten her first job, and she's writing out her first tithe check. She's seeing how much the government takes. And I think we must be doing something right, because my seven-year-old actually requests to listen to Dave Ramsey on the radio. That's great. Well, it's a fun reminder that we all make value decisions about where we spend our treasure, whether we're just seven years old or we're a government leader. And that's why it's important to pay attention, even though it may seem like a boring topic, to how our government is stewarding our taxpayer money. Victoria, how can you give us a quick overview of what is happening with the state budget right now and what should we be paying attention to? Well, Governor Northam has presented his proposed changes to the biannual budget, and it covers these next two years. Basically, what he's saying is we've got some new money, and here's how it's going to affect your family. And one item in particular is a bit of a shocker, and it'll impact our religious freedom, and that is what amounts to court packing. What's ironic about that is we had all this controversy for months over President-elect Joe Biden absolutely refusing to answer whether he will engage in court packing. And here we have the Virginia governor getting ahead of the issue. Victoria, why does this matter? Well, I mean, he's taking and attempting to add four judges to the Virginia Court of Appeals. And it's funny, it is almost like he got his idea from the national conversation. But what it does is he's trying to tip the balance of the court, the ideological structure. And this is how activist courts are made. This is how we ended up with a decision like Roe versus Wade, where we create new law because we have judges who don't believe in the strict constitutional structure and following the law. And not only are they doing this from the court perspective, but they also just poured money into expanding the Civil Rights Office, particularly on the LGBT issues. Tell us about that a little bit. Yeah, it's a huge threat that we now know that there's going to be more litigation against churches on discrimination issues because the LGBT agenda has been put front and center. So, Victoria, why are they addressing this stuff through the budget? The budget is incredibly important. Everything, every issue can be addressed through the budget. And in Virginia, fun fact, the budget actually overrides the law. You can defund Planned Parenthood in a law and still put money in for Planned Parenthood in the budget. So you have to watch very, very carefully. And I think even we know the sex text line issue that we've talked about here before is a classic example. We put vague language in a, in a budget and the next thing we know, they're soliciting our kids to text anonymous strangers about sexual questions. Unbelievable. Wow. That really is a powerful commentary on what our state is exalting as top priority values in its treasure. Now, you also mentioned the budget's impact on life issues. Can you explain that to us? Yeah, the government wants to continue funding Planned Parenthood. We had a program put in place that we fought tooth and nail, but the bottom line is now there's a program that gives long-active reversible contraception. Don't worry about what all that is. Just trust me that that's not a, generally a good idea. It wants to give it out through the government. And it's not only the moral question, but it's who distributes it. And fortunately, in this case, it's Planned Parenthood. Yeah, the bottom line thing about that is that, what, we're giving $2 million to Planned Parenthood through part of our budget, some, a program in the budget. And we fight this every year in budget battles. Thanks for tuning in if you're just now joining us for Speak Up Virginia, brought to you by the Family Foundation. For more information about us or the topics we're addressing, 
you can visit familyfoundation.org. That's familyfoundation.org. Well, one of the largest proposals in Governor Northam's budget is hundreds of millions of dollars going to public schools to help make up for, I think, the shortfall due to the drop in enrollment. First of all, why do you think we're seeing this drop in enrollment, Victoria? Well, many parents across Virginia have just been picking up on the general trend of our public schools pushing a liberal agenda, and they're starting to make moves out of the public schools. But more than that, in this moment with a pandemic where lots of public schools would not provide in-person education, these students are not thriving. So parents have made choices for private education, homeschool, whatever it might be that would serve their child. And hopefully parents are finding more places where they can have biblical values taught to their children. Well, that makes a lot of sense, especially in light of the news we've been seeing about a lot of Virginia students failing because they didn't necessarily have all the supports they needed when their school had to go to uh, online learning. The problem is instead of empowering parents with more alternatives, it looks like our leadership is kind of going a completely different direction, right? Yes, there are actually proposals in the General Assembly to help equip parents to steward their kids' education through different options or resources. Tax credits that give funding back to provide tutors or, or computers or whatever it might be. But the bottom line is we're in a situation where we're seeing the governor instead go the other direction. He has renewed his call actually for funding for early childhood education for kids as young as three years old. Right, and my understanding about that as far as why we're concerned about that is because it's a definite step toward a mandatory universal pre-K system, which eventually would be making the government a nanny state for toddlers, whether parents like it or not. Yeah, the idea that we're gonna back up public education in age down to three years old when we're not doing it well for kids that are in K through 12 is absurd. We don't need to hand over our children earlier to the government. And also, I just feel like I need to mention that this move towards early mandatory pre-K education is concerning for churches that have daycares because once we get down this road where the government does it, then they start saying, this is how you must do it. And all of a sudden we find churches doing a great job being challenged by new requirements. And to top it all off, guess how it's being funded? This whole early education pre-K thing, to help pay for it, they're proposing legalizing the use of recreational marijuana. Exactly. And the governor has not been shy about this. He and other leaders have been very upfront in pushing this as a top priority for his for the state. And in fact, it reminds me that we keep doing this in Virginia. We take an addictive thing and we justify it at, with a good cause. We did this with the lottery. We took we, we created a lottery in the name of funding education. Now we're doing it with marijuana. Well, along those lines, help us understand why families should be especially concerned about this, particularly about relying on legalized marijuana as a budget solution for things like education. We have to be so careful when the government engages in anything that would encourage devastating addiction. And that is the reality for so many families when we're talking about drugs. And it's the epidemic of fatherlessness, for example. It goes hand in hand with this plague of drug addiction. There is nothing compassionate about creating a policy that sets up more pitfalls for those who are trying to escape this vicious cycle. That's so true. You know, when you think about it, using the legalization of drugs to bolster a state budget is really kind of cannibalizing on those who are the most vulnerable. But then you also hear these arguments as well that, well, marijuana use is really no different than gambling, alcohol or tobacco. We can't prohibit it out of existence. So why not regulate it so it's safer? Well, we just have to look at safety for children. We know that the reality is kids get addicted through things like marijuana gummies and brownies and you name it. This is dangerous for our kids. 
And then there's the whole safety issue in our streets. We've already seen in other states where they've legalized it, um, traffic fatalities increasing. So yeah, safety, when you look at the facts, is not a good argument. Yeah, I think it's important for folks to understand this issue. And you can get all that information on our website about this budget that we're talking about today and about how to stand up against these things. Well, it's time for our Inconceivable Moments Award, where we're featuring examples of the absolute lunacy and craziness that happens when our cultural leaders try to give guidance completely apart from biblical principles. Inconceivable! Victoria, you know, last week we were talking about all this craziness going on in the culture surrounding gender confusion, and we didn't have to wait long for another example, did we? <laughs> That's right. This week's Inconceivable Award goes to Representative Emanuel Cleaver, who provided the opening prayer for the new U.S. Congress. Really, what should have been a moment of humbling before God became instead a ridiculous moment where instead of thinking that you could simply say amen, he decides that it's not inclusive enough and he uses the word a woman to end his prayer. Let's go ahead and listen to him in his own words. We ask it in the name of the monotheistic God, Brahma, and God known by many names by many different faiths. A man and a woman. Wow, just wow. Obviously, there are numerous problems with this prayer on a theological level. But just looking at the A woman thing alone, it's the perfect example of how political correctness run amok in this crazy level of gender advocacy to the point where we are remaking language really does get us to the level of insanity. It's hard to even know where to start. First of all, there's the very simple fact that amen is actually a Hebrew word that has nothing to do with the gender definition. It actually just means let it be. But aside from that, it just demonstrates a slippery slope towards complete ignorance that results when we try to force sexual agendas and identity politics into our language. You know, we have a resident office humorist, Josh, who shared a cartoon with all of us after this happened. Many of you may have seen it circulating around social media of a man and a woman sitting at a table in a restaurant. The man is holding a menu, but the woman has a woman you in her hands. <laughs> yeah, it actually started as for Josh on this whole rift about how maybe restaurants would need to start serving manicotti and womanicotti. Well, if we're going there, I really want to state for the record that I am exempt right now from all governor mandates because they are not woman dates. <laughs> we laugh, but it is a sign of our times that we have got to return to a basic sense of sanity and truth. Well said, Victoria. Well, now's a great time to wrap things up and just to remind everyone, after we've done a few of these inconceivable awards, we're going to put them in a top 50 list that you can download. So if you want to participate in the process, be sure to send in your nominations to speakupradio at familyfoundation.org. That's speakupradio at familyfoundation.org. Thanks for joining us for this week's Speak Up Virginia, brought to you by the Family Foundation. Visit us at familyfoundation.org. That's familyfoundation.org.